What would it take to arouse your life, to experience more connection, more pleasure, more realness in and outside of the bedroom? I'm August McLaughlin, and this is Girl Boner Radio. Sex toys, spicy books, and fashion as self-care, activism, and an identity. You'll hear a lot about these topics today, thanks to the voices and stories of two women who are breaking barriers in the sexuality field. Tin Kim Lam, founder of Body Bookworms, and Nakia Outland, founder of Prevention Meets Fashion. Later in the show, Dr. Megan Fleming and I will weigh in for a listener who has a question about anal sex, penis size, and a pleasure versus anxiety and stress conundrum. If you would like to get turned on or experience more pleasure, alone or with a partner, head to thepleasurechest.com to check out their latest specials and their new pleasure gift guide featuring the top toys of 2020. Again, that's The Pleasure Chest at thepleasurechest.com. Tin Kim Lam is the child of Asian-American immigrants. Growing up, no one around her talked about sex or sexuality, other than cautioning, don't get pregnant. So she had to get all of that information on her own. The primary memory I have of learning about sex and just sexuality and pleasure in general was reading romance books because that's what I had access to. I read a lot of Harlequin novels and whatever my library had. So very cis, heterosexual, white. That time, I was a teen. That's all I had. But I just read everything, even though the euphemisms, I mean, like manhood and orgasms were described as butterflies tingles all over the body. Like, I had no idea what any of it meant, but I just could not get enough because that's all I had. There are so many examples of terms romance novels have used to avoid explicit terms. Here are a few more. Sex has been called the age-old rhythm and writhing with burning caresses. One book said a lover, quote, impaled her on his straining shaft. Another compared orgasms to lightning bolts of fulfillment and staccato spasms. That last one sounds like a medical condition to me. Many authors today say they use euphemisms to avoid sounding overly clinical. I'm sure others, especially in years past, were trying to avoid getting banned from bookshelves too. In either case, when that's some of the only quote-unquote sex ed you have access to, it can get a little confusing. Tin Kim also learned extremely little about sex or pleasure in school. So I was raised Catholic, so we had sex ed classes in our catechism classes, but it was very medical, cut and dry, nothing about pleasure. Finally, during college, Tin Kim started to learn a whole lot about her body's own capacity for pleasure, thanks to an experience with her first sex toy. Before long, those toys became far more than a personal hobby. I started selling sex toys in my early 20s. 
because I had discovered them in college and it blew my mind because I thought, wow, this little bullet is amazing. <laughs> Once I graduated college and I wanted to share this knowledge with other women, like, and nobody tells us any of this. And now there are these amazing tools in so many different kinds that you can achieve so much pleasure and have fun. And that's when I knew like this was my passion was helping other women find ways to achieve pleasure. While selling sex toys, Tin Kim was on her own journey to learn more about the body and pleasure. And as she spoke with fellow women about toys, she noticed some common themes. So many women thought that something was wrong with them because they couldn't achieve orgasm through penis and vagina sex. Like that's what we're taught. And they were so ashamed, I think, and disappointed in themselves. And I, you know, helped them and and said, hey, this is not how our bodies are made. And it's okay to have other methods of achieving orgasm. And I think like knowing we're not alone in that makes a big difference. Five years ago this past summer, Tin Kim launched Body Bookworms, a company that curates subscription boxes containing spicy books and sex toys, and welcomes members to an online forum where they can freely chat about their experiences. You know, I took a break from romance books and I got back into them and I had friends who knew that I was educated about sex toys. So they would read these books and say, what are Benoit balls or is spanking fun? (laughs) Uh, So I had all these like DMs and eventually I said, you know, like we should do something about this. Like let's, let's bring this conversation forward and not keep it secret and feel ashamed about talking about trying out new fantasies and wanting to explore our sexuality this way. More than anything, Body Bookworms aims to empower women to embrace pleasure, however they define it or experience it. In addition to helping countless other women, doing this work has had a huge impact on Tin Kim's life, including her relationship to pleasure. I feel less ashamed about taking time for myself. So I'm a, a mom of two kids. And you know, I love taking long baths. Like I'll let the water get cold and then let out the water and add more hot water. <laughs> I'll stay there for an hour. I used to feel bad. I'm like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm not around my family. I'm not giving them the time they need. But, you know, we can't be our best selves if we don't take that time to re-energize. If you are new to sex toys, maybe you are a little intimidated about where to start or you've only really seen depictions of rabbit-style vibrators, Tin Kim had this advice for choosing your first. I would say keep it simple. So the rabbit vibrator is intimidating for a lot of people, and a lot of people don't benefit from that kind of dual stimulation. So I would say find toys like a bullet or a wand that focuses on external stimulation. Because then you can use it on other parts, not just your vulva. You can use it on your nipples, thighs, like really other sensitive parts. And that to buy a toy that feels stronger than you think you want. Because if you max out your toy and you don't get there, it's so frustrating. But it's good to have a few extra levels waiting for you. If you have a vulva and are more of an internal stimulation person, you might want to ease in no pun intended, with a modest-sized dildo or simple vibrator 
with multiple speeds than starting with the lowest speed or even with the vibration turned off at first. If you would like to enjoy Body Bookworms this holiday season or gift it to a loved one, they offer several fun options. So we offer kits in our shop and they're all themed and come with a saucy book where female pleasure is a big focus of the story. Right now, they're offering a special holiday gift box called Kissmas Wishes, which comes with a historical romance that's inspired by the movie Home Alone. The heroine's left alone in this big house. Her family just all goes away. Nobody knows that they've forgotten her. So she gets into her own trouble. (laughs) And just as Tin Kim breaks down barriers and debunks myths around pleasure, these books do some similar myth-busting showing that there's a lot more to romance and erotica than orgasms alone. Especially this one, the heroine, she wants to open a home for unwed mothers, which is so taboo for the time period. And even though it's fun, like there's themes that we can all relate to in the book. Tin Kim has a book of her own coming out soon, too. Her debut novel, Happy Endings, will be released by Avon Books next May. A lot of it is based on my personal experiences, and the rest of it is fiction. It's an interracial couple, a Black man and a Vietnamese-American woman who is also a sex toy salesperson. He runs a soul food restaurant in D.C., and his neighbor is being gentrified, so they used to date. They decided they're going to have a business relationship and have pop-up shops together to try to you know, revive his store and, and help her with her business. And of course... The chemistry is still there, so sparks fly. I'm very excited, and she has a great group of girlfriends. I have always loved books where the women have a supporting cast of girlfriends, cheering them on and helping them be amazing. If you sign up for her mailing list at tinkimlam.com, you'll get updates about the book as well as recipes. She said there's a lot of sumptuous food in this story. If Tin Kim could leave us all with one piece of sexual empowerment advice, she said it would be this. Experiment. Don't be afraid to experiment and enjoy the experience. Like, Don't focus on the end. Don't make it all about the orgasm, but just the experience of feeling good. Nakia Oakland considers herself fortunate to have been raised by a mother who was open and honest about a lot of things related to sexuality. Many of her friends, especially those who are Black or people of color, received far less. At the same time, she was exposed to pervasive myths and stereotypes that affect many Black folks today. Such as you can't wear red lipstick, that's for, you know, hoes. You can't wear fishnet stockings. Your skirt has to be um, over your knee. Don't, you know, go over this relative house or don't wear this coming down the steps. Um, The such and such is over the house. So at that time, I didn't really understand it because I was just like such a free child. I didn't really understand it until I became older and I started incorporating sex, sexuality, sexual health, even reproductive health within my own businesses. Hearing those stories from clients. And I started looking into myself. I said, wow, before I even go forward and start any business, I need to look into myself, look into my family and understand where it came from. My family was very honest with me and I really appreciate that. 
but that's when I've learned that we had a history of, you know, incest and rapes. All of that I bring into my business, and that's why I come in with the focus of wanting to center Black people, but not only just Black people, how that intersects with being LGBTQ, how that intersects with being a woman, if that's how you identify, Um, because I'm not just one identity. All of that plays a factor in how we get sex ed, how we get reproductive health. Um, And I have my own stories, and I share them a lot of what I went through with reproductive health issues. And a lot of times you see in news articles where it's, oh, that person doesn't have insurance. Well, I've always had private insurance and it's like, no, I still get it. I still was told these are the only birth control options that I have available to me. Or I wasn't asked what genders I'm engaging in sex with. They just assumed. I started having kids young. Um, I was a teen mom twice. And so my kid's father would accompany me a lot. A lot of doctors would address him. You know, we were Muslim, so they would like address him, you know, giving into the stereotype again that you have to address the man and stuff like that. But they never asked me, was that okay? Like, Many of these experiences play a role in Nakia's organizations. Prevention meets fashion and her consulting business. Prevention is key. She told me she chose to focus on clothing with Prevention Meets Fashion because of the messages that dictate what she can and cannot wear as a Black woman and as a Black queer woman. They've been a part of her life for so long. Even people in her own communities, for example, have assigned her titles such as femme, assuming that that's how she identifies. With Prevention Meets Fashion, Nakia strives to highlight these assumptions and how damaging they can be, especially for folks in marginalized communities, drawing on her background in social work. Nakia said the company has had a slow takeoff, and people don't always grasp the concept at first. They get it more, I guess, from a psychology point of view, because there is a lot of people that do psychology of fashion, and that is, you know, why people wear what they wear. And I'm not so much interested in why people wear what they wear, but when people wear what they wear, how does that affect their everyday lives? So when you queer and you go into the office, how does that affect not only your life and your livelihood, but how does that affect your identity walking in? Is someone going to assume that you're gay? Is someone going to assume that you're trans? Is someone going to assume that you're non-binary or asexual based off of these stereotypes that the world has constantly gave us throughout the years? Pointing out and debunking myths is one of the things I love most about Nakia's work with Prevention Meets Fashion. I told her about a friend of mine who so many people presume to be hypersexual and seductive because of her Latinx heritage and curvy physique and the fact that she likes to dress in certain ways, when in fact she identifies as demisexual or ace-demi, meaning she seldom experiences sexual attraction, and when she does, it stems from a strong emotional connection. Personally, I've taken issue with people assuming that girls, femmes, and women should wear pink. The history of pink for girls and blue for boys dates back to the 1940s, Decades before that, in 1928, an article published in the trade publication Earnshaw's Infants Department stated the opposite. Here's a little excerpt. 
the generally accepted rule is pink for the boys and blue for the girls. The reason is that pink, being a more decided and stronger color, is more suitable for the boy, while blue, which is more delicate and dainty, is prettier for the girl. I don't remember when I learned that we were essentially guided toward the idea of gendered colors, but they've never felt right to me. Maybe I just don't like being told what to do. In any case, I avoided wearing pink for some time. Nakia told me she relates to my resistance to pink earlier on in her life and to coming back around to embrace it. Recently, she has really reclaimed pink, even making it one of the signature colors of Prevention Meets Fashion, along with black and white. I sort of wanted to reclaim it because I'm like, that was dumb. This is what I've been holding because this is what someone told me, that little girls wear pink. And I didn't want to be that little girl that wore pink, right? I like blue. Why can't I wear blue? I like black. Why can't I wear black? And then it was like, well, you're not going to a funeral. And that's when I started learning about different cultures, right? And then I would be the smart ass that would be like, well, in this culture, they wear white as for funeral. So maybe I should stop wearing white. Growing up, just like starting to educate people. And that was the inner advocate in me. And I didn't know that until a mentor of mine really brought that out. And also my grandmother was like, you know, you need to start playing to your strengths. You always had it. You need to play to your strengths. So how do we figure out what we actually want to wear? Societal messaging will always play a role in fashion. And that's not always a negative thing. Sometimes it's really positive, such as the trend of comfortable, supportive shoes replacing high heels for many people in recent years. Nakia's advice on this is some of the best I've ever heard. How you know what to wear is when you put it on and it gives you that feeling. It gives you that feeling of either comfortability, whatever feeling that you're looking for that day. If it gives you a feeling of comfortability, like um, yesterday I went and I had another podcast and I dressed in high-waisted cargo, wide leg pants and a hoodie. That's how I wanted to present. I wanted to present comfortable. I have anxiety really bad, so I know I needed pockets because it was an in-person event and I didn't want to see people see me fidgeting, sweating. I needed that comfortability. So when I put that on, and I had a million outfits, <laughs> but when I put that on, I was like, this is the one. This is what made me feel good that day. The same thing for um, what you were saying about your friend. Even though they ace Demi, when they put on something that's stereotypical sexy, maybe that's what they want to present sexy. But because asexuality in the community, the stereotype is you can't feel this way because this is the definition of asexuality, not knowing that it's on a spectrum or not wanting to attract the male gaze. You know, we hear that even with little kids, like don't wear this, don't wear pajamas because it's going to attract little boys. Like, you know, all these stereotypes that we put back on female identified bodies, we're in the wrong for dressing the way that we want to dress to make us feel good, to make us feel comfortable. So yeah, I just say put on a bunch of different styles and the one that gives you that feeling wear it. You see behind me, you see green, you see yellows, you see multicolored skirts and polka dots, and then you see nude colors. I will always pair them with my aesthetic, which is comfortability. So a lot of that stuff gets paired with a boot or um, a sneaker or a flat shoe. 
however you feel. Don't let no one tell you what you can and cannot wear based off of what they think your identity is. You know what your identity is. And identities is like our sexuality. It's constantly changing. It's fluid. So I often talk about, too, is how do we find our fashion identity? Because that is another identity that we have. Have you ever thought about that? Your fashion identity? That's generally a tough one for me personally. But now that I know that comfortability can be your aesthetic, well, I'm all over that. Nakia also talks about fashion as a form of self-care. She told me that particularly now, during the COVID-19 pandemic and the ongoing crises of racism and broad-spread drug and alcohol addiction, which have culminated and intensified during these months of isolation and social distancing, fashion is her self-care. When I was dealing with anxiety around having to comfort my staff and other folks, what comforted me was, I want to say coming home, but coming from downstairs to upstairs to like reorganize my closet or my drawers and find stuff that I was like, oh, this was lost in my closet, you know? Forgot about this. Do I want to keep this or do I want to give this away to someone since I forgot it was totally in there? That was therapeutic to me to know that I could give this garment a new life or I could give it to someone else to give it a new life. Nakia's whole life, personally and professionally, is about helping others, something her grandmother always modeled for her as well. If you had a loaf of bread and your neighbors needed half of it, her grandmother would say, give it to them. We have more than some people have. Nakia told me she thinks about each item of clothing she purchases very strategically, and they all represent something to her. You could go to her place and point to any item, and she could tell you who gifted it to her or when, where, and why she bought it. It seems that her clothing choices have helped shape her identity, just as her grandmother has. And her fashion identity informs her daily life and her advocacy. She pays it all forward with Prevention Meets Fashion. Finding your identity is our main goal. Like, what is your identity, right? I want to help that little trans girl who is being told, you can't wear this. Why can't she wear that? You know, why can't she wear that, right? And if it's and if it's a safety issue, then let's create a safety plan with you. So that's how I incorporate, you know, the social work component into that. But the main thing is, how do you feel when you put this on, right? Is that safety for you, you know? Because you can have multiple safety issues. And I think we don't talk about that. Nakia is so right about that. I heard from a Girl Boner listener just the other day who said she's so grateful to be working from home lately because she can wear the dresses and frilly tops and other clothing she loves that her boss would frown on. She hasn't come out to them as trans or female because she's heard her boss make transphobic comments and she cannot afford to be fired. When Nakia was speaking about the emotional significance of each item of her clothing, those she owns and those she's given away, It reminded me of the face mask my mom sewed for me. It's my favorite one, partly because it's the most comfortable mask I own. But recently, when I thought I had lost it and was totally devastated, I realized that the mask meant way more to me than that. I haven't been able to see my mom in almost a year now, 
because of the pandemic, and wearing that mask makes me feel like she's here with me in some way. Nakia told me she has similar experiences that help her feel really close to her grandmother. My grandmother since passed, she had very wonderful things, but I kept her hats because she often would buy hats for church, come home and I would see her hot glue stuff or alter it in some type of way. And so I kept them when she passed. And now what I've done is, of course, taking some of the stuff off that she that she put on there because it was for church and it was very flamboyant and that wasn't me. So I, I would just take them off and like make them be for me. Those bring up positive memories a lot too. My grandma was, you know, a black Southern Christian woman. So for her, it was hard, especially with my queer identity. It was my Muslim identity. It was, it was very hard for her, but she worked through it. And in the end, she loved me for me. And That is also an experience that others don't get to experience. You hear so many of these stories of, you know, young black kids being killed because of who they are by a parent or by someone else, you know, and I think that was a big part of me wanting to also be part of the organizing in Philly of the Say Her Name to honor Remy Fells, to honor Breonna Teller, to honor all these black women who lost their lives to senseless violence, specifically, you know, LGBTQ Black folks who lose their lives every day and it doesn't hit media because you walk down the street and you had on tight jeans and somebody decided to say a man shouldn't wear tight jeans or you're a trans woman, you shouldn't have breasts. You don't know what people are thinking nowadays and it's just heartbreaking because people are people, they're human. I think people are more than anything, it's just afraid that there are people out here that's not afraid to live in their truth. They're not afraid to show all of their identities, right? And for some people that scares them because they don't know or they haven't been taught to share and show truly who they are. Nakia pointed out that Black people in particular have a long history of showing resistance through fashion. Inspired part by that history, she decided to launch a social justice and fashion group to talk about these issues because few people really understand how much fashion and activism are intertwined. Because Nakia prizes the connection between sexual health and fashion, I asked her to leave us with her top advice around fashion and sexual wellness. I think one of my top tips is sort of what I said earlier, right? Dress for yourself. Don't dress for anyone else. Of course, if it's a part of your community, yes. Like, so BDSM, right? Someone might want you to dress up in a certain way. Um, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, like, everyday life, you centering yourself, you prioritizing your sexual health within fashion. How do you want yourself to feel? My top advice also is to also look at the material. Understand materials because a lot of these materials are doing harm for our sexual and reproductive health. So a lot of materials that are made with a lot of chemicals and we're putting it on our sensitive parts that could affect us in ways internally that we don't know until years later, right? And so I'm talking about, you know, the lawsuits that come out years from now, like, have you ever used talc powder? Like, you know, they didn't know that talc powder was going to cause problems, right? So, you know, just paying attention to the garments that you put on. I understand everyone's income is different 
and everyone's not able to afford the 100% cotton or the natural fibers that we should be wearing on our body, but just just pay attention to how is what it is doing. To learn more about fashion and sexual health, particularly in Black, LGBTQIA, and non-binary communities, follow Prevention Meets Fashion on Instagram. Their fourth annual condom fashion show is approaching, and yes, the clothes are made out of condoms, which they provide. The first meeting of the Social Justice and Fashion Group was canceled due to low registration, so if you're interested, please consider joining through the link down in the show notes. This week's listener question comes from someone we will call Tommy, who wrote this. I have been married for over 10 years, and as we have begun to openly communicate about sex for the first time, my wife has expressed interest in anal play. We've experimented with my fingers just on the outside, and she has been sent into what I can only describe as utter bliss. She had no idea it would feel that good to her. So now she wants more. She wants my penis inside her. I am ambivalent about anal sex. I know all guys are supposed to want it, but I just don't. It's taken me a while to warm up to finger play. I do see how much she enjoys it. That makes me more open to trying more for her. Here's the thing, though. I'm a size mismatch for her. I'm too small for her vagina. This is according to her. She has brought extra-large dildos into our sex life to help her feel satisfied. The catch is, I am actually decently girthed, it turns out. Sure, I'm short in length, but weirdly girth-wise, I'm pretty thick. I only know this because we have worked through her size needs and desires. I also have been working through the body shame I've carried about being so small and not enough for her. It turns out I'm small, quote-unquote, for her, but actually not that small. So back to anal play. I will admit I'm scared to go there, like get anxious and scared, I've tried a couple of times after she's super turned on and had a couple of orgasms, lots of lube, lots of slow, easy, and I just can't. I struggle with being so small for her vulva and yet big for her bottom. It stresses me out. She's really pushing for this from me. Do you have any advice on how to get over this and help her experience what she wants? Tommy, I appreciate you reaching out so much and sharing this really important topic and question. One thing I will say, first off, is that it probably seems like most guys and most people with penises just love anal sex or at least really want it, but that's really far from true. Plenty of people do and plenty of people don't. That's one of those myths that's perpetuated a lot by porn. Whatever you enjoy and whatever you don't want to engage in, they're both great, totally legit and valid. Which brings up another point. You mentioned that your wife is really pushing for you to do this with her. I think it's really great that you want to be there for your wife and you want to pleasure her in the ways that she desires. I also get a little concerned when there's pressure happening. That might be a good thing to bring up in one of your conversations because the ways we talk about things can really make a difference as far as our own comfort level. Like I would be really kind of stressed, maybe anxious if someone was pressuring me to do a certain thing. So I just want to give you that permission. You don't have to do anything that you don't want to do. There are so many different ways, as you pointed out, to bring pleasure to your partner and anal pleasure to your partner. It doesn't have to look a certain way. 
Here's what Dr. Megan Fleming had to say. Tommy, thanks so much for your question. And first, I just want to say, I think it's fantastic that even if it's taken you a number of years, that you and your wife are having these frank and open conversations so that you really can sort of explore size preferences and desires and all the different ways we can receive and experience pleasure. You know, I'm struck that you're experiencing so much shame around your body and your size. It's certainly sort of a cultural phenomenon that we shame ourselves for things that we cannot control because we have sort of this Hollywood, in a sense, standard. But I can tell you that, as you have already shared with us, there's so many ways to give our partners pleasure. We have our hands, we have our mouths. And in your case, you may not have length, but you have girth. And I often hear from women, the girth and the width is more important in terms of their pleasure often than sort of the length, although it definitely sounds like your wife is enjoying the dildos. So I definitely want to come back to the fact that you're sharing both being sort of scared and really just having a lot of fear and stress around the role of anal play and anal penetration. I really would like to say, tell me more. I'm not really sure specifically what is the stress. You know, is it stress that you're going to cause her pain or discomfort or any harm? Is it just stress that this perhaps is not your preferred way of giving pleasure? Because I think this is all part of the conversation. I think you both do a great job in terms of the readiness and preparing that she's already highly aroused. I often say we don't try something new until someone's highly aroused, had multiple orgasms, using lots of lube and taking it slow. And it's really working with fingers or butt plugs and working your way up in size until you really are at the girth or width of your penis. And so there are plenty of high quality glass, butt plugs, or dildos, you know, really finding what feels good to you both. When you move away from using, if it's a silicone and not glass, that you were using water-based lube, that once you get to the your penis, you can certainly switch over to a, a silicon-based lube. You know, it's really that preparedness because her butt can absolutely accommodate your wide penis. Ultimately, I've worked with clients who work up to fisting, which can be a really pleasurable experience. And again, this isn't for everyone. I wish I knew more, again, specifically about the fear and anxiety. But what I do know is If in having these frank and open conversations with your wife, you're not getting through that or it's not getting better, then absolutely I'm going to recommend that you speak to an ASECT, which is the American Association of Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists, an ASECT sex therapist, so that they can help you really understand the nature of the particular fear, anxiety, and stress that's coming up for you around the thought of or in the experience of anal penetration. And because I haven't heard it, you know, it's not uncommon that when men get stressed or anxious, you might lose arousal or erection, but that wasn't part of your question. So I'm not sure if that in any way is a challenge that you might be having. But when, if you're having any difficulties maintaining erection, because you certainly need a firm erection for anal penetration, again, this is something that an ASEX certified sex therapist can definitely help you with. So continue the conversations with your wife. And if you can move beyond the stress and the tension and the anxiety, so that ultimately, ideally, this could be a pleasurable experience for you both. As always, would love to hear how it goes. 
Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. I thought she brought up some really excellent points. And I'm with her on the kudos for having these open conversations and and really exploring. So I hope you have a lot of pleasure in the future. And Tommy, if you have any follow-up questions, please feel free to send those my way. Dr. Megan also wanted to remind folks about a very special webinar she is hosting tomorrow night. I'm really excited to share that tomorrow, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I'm going to be interviewing Kenneth Play. He's going to share his top three sex hacks. So this is a free webinar that anybody who wants to learn skills to become a better lover and sex partner, you definitely don't want to miss Kenneth Play. He has been named by GQ as the world's greatest sex hacker. So love to have you join. Again, it's a free webinar tomorrow the third Thursday, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. To join, you can go to my website, greatlifegreatsex forward slash sex hacks, and or you can text the word sex hacks to 66866. Can't wait to see you there. How fun does that sound? I already signed up and I hope lots of you will too. If you are enjoying Girl Boner Radio, I hope you will join us on Patreon. We have a wonderful, small but mighty community growing there. And each month you can get exciting extras, exclusive content in the feed, and get your name into these really fun drawings for cool prizes. Learn more at patreon.com forward slash girlboner. And if you're enjoying the show, I would so appreciate a rating and review. And if you would tell your friends about it. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.